Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Oh, we've got a good friend here at Northside. His name is Billy. Most of the crew that have been around Northside long enough, in fact, anyone that's lived around Chatswood knows Billy long enough because he's been there and on the streets and off the streets since he was a teenager and he comes through. Some of our ladies faithfully cook him meals in our freezer so we can give them to him uh, as he pops past most weeks. We've gotten to love Bill. He was at our evening service last Sunday and he's just part of the extended family. Anyway, uh, I was chatting to Billy one week and and he said that he was up in Chatswood and he was enjoying a sandwich and, uh, and he was sitting on the steps of the Church of Scientology building up there. And so he's eating his sandwich on there and one of the ministers or whoever they were from that, uh, that church came out and decided that they were going to move him along. He couldn't eat a sandwich on their steps. And they came up to him and said, move along, you need to get off our steps, you need to get off our steps, this is a church. And he turned to them and he said, you're not a church, you don't act like one. It's the doing that makes the difference. And you don't have to be a Christian. I think even more so non-Christians have an innate sense as to what the church should be doing. You have this too at an individual level. Like how many times have you said to yourself, Oh, this person was fantastic. They, they believed me out so much in that time of crisis. They just, they just provided so much belief for me in the time of crisis. <laughs> you see, Emily asked the question a couple of weeks back, how would people describe your faith on the basis of what you do? We often think faith is on the basis of what we believe, but we've seen, particularly from passages like this in James, that Doing is the thing that makes the difference. As Nike said, just do it. Just do, just do it. So when it comes to social justice and putting things right where you are, uh, why don't we just do it? And we've talked this through over last year, a season that we had. We've talked it through a couple of weeks ago with Emily. Sometimes there are all sorts of different reasons. Maybe we reduce social justice down to a topic we think is for the left side of the political spectrum. <laughs> the bleeding hearts, the ones that are after the, after the good and the wealth and the health of the well, the world and all things green, we sort of say, oh, oh, look, justice is for those types. And yet we see time and time again that justice in the world is not reduced to a political spectrum. It's the call on every believer's life because this is the heartbeat of God. In fact, James, as we will see, goes so far to say that Doing justice, putting things right where you are, is in fact a sign, is evidence of an authentic and a real faith in God. That's challenging for us, isn't it? If we're saying we don't do this, then it begs the question, what does that say about my underlying faith? Because it's the doing that makes the difference. So we get to this passage this morning and you know what, I, I almost skipped over this. It doesn't sound like a very, very social justice passage. Did you guys notice that when we read that? Not like the, not the big, big passages like Isaiah and, and, and Micah, those big social justice passages. And there's, there's a reason for that because what we've just heard from James in chapter 2 is actually you can't confuse the form with the function. In other words, James gives us a big illustration that we often listen to, 
showing favoritism in church, uh, greeting someone at the door, and if they look snazzy, bringing them down to the front seats instead of someone else. We look at that and go, doesn't apply to social justice or doesn't apply to me, therefore we skip through, right? But what I want to encourage us this morning is to not miss the function because the form may not quite fit. In fact, what I mean is that there is a principle underneath all of this that actually is the genesis as to why we do or don't put things right where we are. You ready for it? It's real simple. Verse 1. Here's the principle. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. There we go. We just pack up and go home. There's the sermon. He's great with words, isn't he? Simple as that. Don't show favoritism. See, favoritism is choosing one person over another because there is benefit from that person. And so as a result, there is personal preference either towards that person or away from that person based on what you perceive you can gain from them. There's personal preference on the basis of what you can gain from them. James says, my brothers and sisters. So by the way, he's talking to Christians. He's saying, you already know this. God has come in. God has saved you. He's reminded us we're believers, that we're totally accepted inside of God, that in spite of our our messiness and our, our sinfulness and our brokenness and our background, God has entered into relationship with us. God has had no distinctions with us on, his, on the basis of his relationship with us. And then he says, in light of all of that, brothers and sisters, you should know this, so don't go around rejecting people on the basis of silly, dumb things that God God doesn't even make distinctions about. (laughs) He says, James says, you Christians, you Christians have not not only are making distinctions that, that God's not even making, even better, you've got an even higher standard on the basis of those distinctions that God would have. (laughs) Can you imagine what if what if God only accepted people on the basis of your IQ? Or on the basis of whether you had no money or too much money? What if God only accepted people on the basis of being Jewish? In fact, that's what people thought for thousands of years was was going to be the case until he broke that out of captivity. He says, you guys are creating distinctions that God never had. And with those, your standards are higher than his. To which we all say, no, we've never done that. We've never done that. Verse 2, someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor person in filthy old clothes comes in. And so if you show special attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the one who is poor, stand there, sit on the floor by my feet. We read that and we go, we don't do that. We may not do it physically, but can I suggest that we do it in our hearts? Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it wonderful that isn't it wonderful that um, people can't read our thoughts <laughs> on a Sunday morning? Coming to church and go, oh, they dress a bit different. They don't look like my sort of crew. <laughs> and the comforting fact is, look, if you've had any of those thoughts and they've slipped through, the comforting fact is they can't. People can't read your thoughts, but uh, they're having exactly the same thoughts about you. So. <laughs> We say we would never do that, but we do it in our hearts, don't we, if we're real about it. And here's what we've done, verse 4. He says, Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves 
and become judges with evil thoughts. What he's saying is you've placed value in someone based on something that God doesn't even recognize. We come in here and we're singing the songs and hallelujah and we're looking at mission work and we're looking at the bigger picture and we're looking at the scriptures and we'll look at all of the, We've got our heads should be in heaven. <laughs> and yet for many places, many churches, potentially our place, we're placing values and judgments on, on, upon people when we don't even know what the deal is. And we do this in our hearts. And what James was getting at is that what happens with that is that he's saying you, you are trying to undo consciously or subconsciously. You're, you're undoing everything that God went to great lengths to do. He did everything to unify you, brothers and sisters, one, one church, one body. I've unified you and yet we come in each week and we make these small sized distinctions, the personal preference as to whether we move towards or withdraw. Are we doing this? This is so convicting for me. Because I'm, like I'm like the professional Christian, right? So I, I, I shouldn't be doing any of this, but I do. And I, I, feel, I feel so convicted about it. I feel too raw to share the ways that I do it. But I've made a list. Not of my stuff, probably of the stuff of the ways that maybe you could be doing it. <laughs> we, we do it, don't we? So, some of you might resent rich people. You come into this place and you look at all the snazziness, you look at some of the cars that are parked outside, and you go, oh, it's one of those churches. Some of you might resent poor people because you have poor people, why don't just get a job? They're just lazy. Some of, you don't, some of you don't care for fat people. Some of you don't care for skinny people. Some of you, some of the older single women don't like some of the younger single women. They're on their territory. Some of the younger guys don't like the older guys. You've had your turn. <laughs> Move on. Some of you are still in a second world war mentality that anyone with an Asian background, they're different. They're the enemy. You don't even know the difference between whether it's Malaysia or Korea or Japan or China or Vietnam. Some of you don't like business types because it reminds of you of your, of your dad or your mum or that person that sued you and hurt you. And so you see those business types in church and you go, I don't like them. Some of you don't like single mums because you go, oh, I wonder what she did. Some of you don't like divorced people. I wonder what they did. Some divorced people don't like married people because they've got what I haven't got. Some of you don't like people because they've just got bad taste in what they wear. <laughs> Can you imagine God hearing all this at the moment? Hearing all of our thoughts going up into the thought engine of God? And, and, and God's looking through all the things of which he could have made a, a, a distinction. He says, oh, you know what? I never thought of that. What's that again? What's that called again? Bad taste. I need to put that on the list. My, sh my son should have died for that. <laughs> Fashion. <laughs> Some of you don't like stay-at-home mums. Of course, you know. Why does she get that opportunity? Some of you don't like mums who go to work because if she really loved the children then she'd be at home looking after him. 
Some of you don't like parents that send their kids to public school. Some of you don't like parents that send their kids to private school. Some of you don't like athletes. I'm cool with that. Some of you don't like artsy types because what you really think about art, that all artsy people are gay. Seriously. Some of you, some of you don't like those with lots of kids. How can you be so irresponsible? They have three, four, five kids. Some of you don't like people that just stop at one or two kids because you're denying God and the blessing. You see what we're getting at? Is it me as all of those subtle nods that I've just been watching and affirmation of, seriously, we think this. I'm just saying what we are always thinking. Always working beneath the surface. And what I love about it, this has been going on for 2,000 years. James's same issue in James's church as there is in any church. And you know what? As a pastor who's done a few years now and spoken to pastors of churches that have ripped themselves apart, I can tell you that in 90% of the churches that have ripped themselves apart, 90% of the time, it's these issues. Dealing with people that are different from us. And you know what? I could go on, but here's the point I want to make. If you stay with us long enough, I promise you, you will stay with us long enough, you will bump into someone in this church who's, who is different from you and who makes you go, ugh, they're not my type. <laughs> and that realistically, deep down, you have an attitude about it. And God says, let me get this right, church. Let me get this right, Northside. <laughs> you were dead in your sins and transgressions. <laughs> I sent my son for you, I saved you, I forgive you and I forgive you and I forgive you. I did all of this and you come in to worship me and in your head at the back of your mind are these thoughts and silly distinctions that I don't even care about? <laughs> and you know, if, if, if Jesus turned up right now and did that and came, and came into this place and, and he suddenly arrived, what every single one of us in this place would search our hearts and we would drop to our knees and we'd go, we would go, I am so sorry, Lord. And Jesus would say to each and every one of us, including me, what if I work that way? What if I work that way? You feeling this? I am. <laughs> and it's, it's good if we feel this, then, then that's, James is saying, that's what we can work with. This is the root. Because here's the question. Some of you are saying, particularly you've been amped about this series, what the heck has favoritism got to do with social justice? And here it is, the degree to which we will move towards those that are different from us, particularly within the church, is the degree to which we will meet the needs of those around us in the world. God gives us the ultimate practice pad to work this stuff out. He puts a whole heap of very different people in the one space each week and says, work this out. Verse 8, if you really keep, here's how you test it. Here's how you test if you're doing this. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing this right. There it is. And what is beautiful about that, it shows us the health, the KPI, the measure of what a healthy church is. The measure, the key measure of a healthy church is not the music and not the crazy preaching and how good it is and, and not the music and how snazzy it is. The key measure of a healthy church is do they love God? 
And do they love their neighbor as themselves? Do they love God with such a priority that they jump out of bed and he is the first thing in the morning that they think about and can't wait to worship him and serve him? And do they meet the needs of the person next to them with such ferocity that someone is going to have to understand that they're a Christian in order to explain the behavior? Simple as that. Church, (laughs) we do that. Love God, love your neighbor. And to do it in a way that is so radical and inexplicable, they're going to have to know you're a Christian to understand what that's like. Now, as we get ready to finish this morning, a couple of practical application points. What does this look like? What what does this look like to love your neighbor as yourself? And Jesus defined that really clearly for us in that parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, right? Where a man's been almost beaten to death and a priest, the minister of the church, sees him, walks to the other side. A Levite, a good elder of the church, sees him, walks to the other side of the road. They see this man beaten on the road. And then a Samaritan, the non-believer, the enemy of that believer, comes and picks the man up, puts him on his donkey, carries him into an inn, pays for the inn, heals him up. We know this story, right? Done at Flannel Graph Sunday School. (laughs) Overhead projectors, cutouts. (laughs) Uh, What that describes, and we've preached this before, but this forms the Venn diagram. I always love finding the diagrams, the way that these things meet. These form the Venn diagrams or the three rhythms of our life when we look at how we love our neighbours as ourselves, And that story shows us three simple principles as to how you do this, how you put things right where you are. You ready? The first one is you've got to see the need. The man's lying on the road. The people walked to the other side of the road. They, they saw the man, but they didn't see the man. And what I mean by that is the word that Jesus uses, the, way, the word that the Bible uses, the, the word that Jesus uses when it says that he was, he was moved with the compassion of the crowds that he saw was the word splagnitzomai. In other words, you see, but you see to the extent that your heart is moved to action. All of us saw the video on the screen. Only some of us will be splagnitzomide. <laughs> Are you splagnitzomide? So you've got to see the need that is around you. There are many needs that are around us. We just don't see them. That is the deep problem for us. It's not that we don't see. We don't see to the point that we are moved. Here's the second thing. You've got to be prepared to be inconvenienced. When you see in that story the Good Samaritan, I don't think he, he woke up that morning thinking, I've got to, I've got to, go, and, I've, I've got to go to Jerusalem, I've got a couple of meetings that I've got to do, and, and I hope I don't run into a bloodied, beaten up man on the side of the road because I just cannot deal with it in my schedule this week. <laughs> but it's how we think. We're busy people. But you've got to be prepared to be inconvenienced. Uh, if it's carrying each other's burdens, like it said in Galatians 6, great preacher Jonathan Edwards said, if we never be obliged to relieve others' burdens, but when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burdens when we bear no burdens at all? Rick Russo, senior pastor of our sister church over in the States, Tim Foote, senior pastor of Lifebridge Church, Tim Ford, our old worship pastor. He says this, getting out of your own way is difficult. Going out of your own way is even more difficult. My question for you is, is there a posture of interruptibility about you? 
If you want to put things right where you are, is there not only are you seeing the needs to being moved, but is there a posture of interruptibility about you when you see a need coming along? Here's the third one of the Venn diagram. Is so you not only see the need, you not only have a posture of, of interruptibility, but the last one is that you're willing to give your currency to bring about whole healing and holistic ministry. And I use the word currency really importantly. Because currency is the transfer of anything that has value. So when I say currency, I don't mean your money. Because here's the reality. For some of us, giving money is the easy thing and giving time is the hard thing. (laughs) So class, for some of you, which is more valuable to you, money or time? And so for some, of, for some of you, giving money is the easy thing. For others of you, giving away your time is the easy thing and the money is the hard thing. And so the person over here who's saying, look, I can serve, serve, serve. I'm going to give all of my time. And this person here who says, oh, look, I can see that need. I'm going to write him a check. Fundamentally in their hearts of hearts are not carrying the burden of meeting the need. See how that works? So what is it that truly costs you when, when you see the parable of the Good Samaritan, he gives both his time and money? So there it is, the rhythms that we've talked about before. You see the need until you're moved. You are then uh, prepared to be inconvenienced. There's a posture of interruptibility about you. And then finally, you give of your currency. That is radical generosity. You give both either time and money, but you give the things that are of value to yourself. Simple. Right? You. <laughs> I love the Bible. The Bible always gives us very simple answers. They're just very difficult to apply. <laughs> it's why we do this in community. It's why we do this. It's why we spur each other on. It's why we talk about this each and every year. And we'll continue to do that each and every year. How do you put things right where you are? And as we've heard this morning, it's the doing that makes the difference. James, James says it in verse 15 of chapter 2. He says, If you say to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but do nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not, that is not accompanied by action is dead. So coming back, to, coming back to all of that, coming back to the heart of that, we see the key principle that James gives us, let's not use the illustrations as an excuse for skipping over a principle that applies to every single one of us this morning. The degree to which you and I will meet the needs of the people around us will be shaped by the degree to which we are willing to engage those who are different from us. And so my simple question this morning for you as we finish up is, who is the, the type of person or the category of person that when you see them makes you in your mind of minds go, ugh? Who is that for you? And most importantly, after hearing what we've just heard this morning, because this hit me like a freight train, are you willing to see that response the way that God sees it? If we're really blunt about it, he sees it as a sin. He sees it up there with murder. Because fundamentally, he says, the restoration of the world, the restoration of of justice pouring out through my precious world, the restoration of shalom, as the Bible says, is the weaving back together of interdependent human relationships into perfect unity. And the one thing that fundamentally destroys that and rips that apart is this world called 
word called? Favoritism. So first of all, who makes you go, <laughs> Secondly, can you see it for what it really is? And to call out and to confess that, the way that I've had to this week. And thirdly, would you be willing to take a big leap of faith this week? A big, big leap of faith. A huge leap of faith. And that when you see that person, when you sit next to them, probably first in church rather than running the other way, we don't run, we just subtly say that we've got things to do. (laughs) Would you be willing to move towards them? And when we do that, we will be being shaped into a community of justice. It sounds, it sounds simple for such a big word. But it becomes inescapable for us as we are pressed by God's word into the realities of what it means for us in our heart of hearts. It's the doing that makes a difference. I'll finish with, with this story, talking about the Glebe barbecue. I had a good friend who went to the Glebe barbecue, got a call on the, got a call on the phone last night at 8.30 at night, as you do as a pastor. And, uh, and your heart always sinks because you think, what sort of call have I got? And, uh, and you can sort of know because on the voicemail it was like 2 minutes 47 seconds. So I thought, this, this call, I'm either not going to sleep or I'm, I'm going to be praising God. And, and it was the latter because this was, this was from someone from the Glebe team that went to the barbecue uh, yesterday and, and backyard blitzed uh, the, 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 the backyards of Glebe and and, uh, and they, they normally should finish by about one o'clock in the afternoon and instead they were back till 5.30. And they had an interaction with one of the ladies that they were serving and this lady had said to him, you know what, thank you that you are someone who walks out what you believe. She said, I don't have much time for these religions and I don't have much time for all these different types of people and everyone's opinion these days but thank you for being someone who walked out what you believe it's the doing that makes a difference God is bringing people into your life this week you don't have to go to a barbecue you don't have to go to Madagascar you don't have to make positive poverty history God is bringing people into the paths the roads of your life bloodied and beaten maybe not physically but certainly spiritually and emotionally in your world and how they will remember you is not that they believed me out in this time of crisis but they helped me out that they walked out what they believe. So our challenge, church, is to just do it. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.